Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. I'm your host, Braden Bell, and I am so excited for you to hear the next 60 minutes. You really have a wonderful treat ahead of you. So much useful information. My guest today is Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore, PhD. Dr. Kennedy Moore is an internationally published author, psychologist, and mother of four. Her newest book is Growing Feelings, a kid's guide to dealing with emotions about friends and other kids. She's also the co-author or author of four books for parents, Kid Confidence, Smart Parenting for Smart Kids, What's My Child Thinking, and The Unwritten Rules of Friendship. Her books have been translated into 10 languages, and she is also a professor for the Great Courses Wondrium audio video series, Raising Emotionally and Socially Healthy Kids. Dr. Kennedy Moore is the creator of the Kids Ask Dr. Friend-tastic podcast, where she answers questions from children about making and keeping friends. She also offers gentle, practical, and research-based help for parents and kids through her online courses at Open Door for Parents. Her blog, Growing Friendships, on Psychology Today has over 4.9 million views. A trusted expert on parenting and child development, Dr. Kennedy Moore has been featured guest on Live with Kelly and Ryan, The Today Show, and Good Day Philadelphia, as well as dozens of major radio shows and podcasts. She's been interviewed and quoted in numerous newspapers and magazines, including The New York Times, The Washington Post, The Chicago Tribune, Real Simple, Working Mother, and CNN.com. I first became acquainted with Dr. Eileen when I was working on a piece for The Washington Post several years ago. The piece was titled, Not All Unkindness is Bullying. Here's why that matters and how to tell a difference. I was looking for some authoritative um, support of a particular point, and I found her and became very um, a big fan of her work. She talks clearly with compassion, and she is able to talk about complicated situations and um, ideas in very easy to understand terms. You'll hear also she's very warm and very anxious to help people live their best lives. And living one's best life for a child, of course, involves friends, since friends occupy such a huge part of the energy that goes into being a kid today. So I'm delighted to have her today, appreciate her time, and I'm excited for you to hear her. So without any further ado, Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore, welcome to the Parent Teacher Podcast. Thank you, Braden. I'm delighted to be here. Now, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, you have a new book out. You have some other books out. You have a phenomenal resource that I think parents need to hear about. Um, let's talk really quick about that. because, And then also, I have followed your work and admired your work for so long. I, I would love to ask you a few questions um, about some other things. But if you can talk about this feature um, that, that you do, which is a wonderful opportunity for parents, Dr. Friendtastic, and what that is and how people can be part of it, please. Sure. So this is absolutely my favorite work thing to do. <laughs> Don't tell my clients. <laughs> um, but I have this little podcast, and it's just five-minute episodes that come out weekly. And each episode features an audio recording of a question about friendship from a child. 
and then I hold forth. <laughs> but we keep it bite-sized. And Brayden, their questions blow me away. Sure. They are so deep. And they touch on to those profound issues that even us adults are still grappling with. So it's just a pleasure to, and plus their little voices are so cute. So if you have a child who is 13 or under and would like to send me a question about friendship, all they have to do is, or you have to do is go, go to my website, drfrentastic.com and click on the podcast link. And then there's a form there, or you can just send it to me directly in email. What you do is you get your child, use your phone, the audio recording or, or notes app to record your child's first name or a first name, doesn't even have to be theirs, their age, and then a brief question about friendship and send it on in. And I would love to answer it. Now, obviously this is not for psychotherapy or emergency situations, but what is more important for kids than learning about friendship? This is fundamental to them, their whole life, right? If you want a kid to feel happier, help them make friends. If you want them to feel more confident, help them make friends. If you want them to feel more engaged in school or be less likely to be bullied, friends. It's kind of the answer to everything. It is as perhaps as close to a, a panacea or a you know a silver <laughs> bullet as we have. Um, everyone, if you're listening, I just, I really want to underscore this. This is quite a remarkable service. Um, Dr. Eileen has years and years of experience as, as a, as a clinician, um, but also she's a, a parent too. She, she brings lots of dimensions to this. And so these are often questions that are really a big occupy a lot of bandwidth for a child and a parent and they seem big thorny questions but because of her vast experience she can often speak to them in a way that uh, simplifies and focuses and takes some of the I think some of the angst and the sort of overwhelmingness out of out of these questions so this really is a remarkable opportunity and I will put her website in the show notes so you can um, find where where to do this. But if somehow you miss it again, you could Google, I'm sure, Dr. Friendtastic on Substack. What are some of the, the questions, I don't know, that that most uh, surprised you or delighted you or, or made you think? You mentioned you had some really profound questions. Yes, so the variety is, is really impressive. Um, there's been everything from... My friend is upset about this little thing that I did and doesn't want to be my friend anymore. Ouch. You know, that that's really hard, but we have to be thinking about, well, maybe it's a, a little thing for you, but it could be a big thing for the friend. Um, another one that I had recently was my friend is, are each really nice to me when they're alone with me, but when the two of them are together with me, they focus on each other and not me. So there are a lot of questions about friendship threesomes, which are hard to manage. There's also a question about popularity. How do I get to be friends with somebody more popular than me? Um, and who hasn't wondered that, right? So right. the kids are 
honest. <laughs> like that's one of the things that I enjoy the most about my practice. I work with adults, children, and families in my uh, clinical psychology practice, but the kids are so honest and they can tell if you're being honest too. So there, there's no nonsense here. You, you gotta be real. You gotta be real. Um, and then there are ones about that are just so adorable where this kid, um, let me see if I can say this right, but they, they were playing house and the question asker was um, working on a plunger because they needed that. And this other kid came and threw the plunger into the field and then she got it back and then he did it again. And what should she do? <laughs> so I'm that's imagining just adorable. Yes. That was the first time I'm guessing in your practice that it came down to how do we handle conflict over a toilet plunger? <laughs> But but it does have bigger ramifications yeah. because one I, the advice that I gave this kid is let's be curious about why he might be doing that. Yeah. And does he want to annoy you? <laughs> does he want to join the group? Um, and depending on what we think is going on, there could be different ways to do that. So I never tell kids this, this is the answer, <laughs> but I do spell out what are the options and what can we be thinking about here? We know from research that what fuels the development of children's friendships from those love the one you're with friendships of, <laughs> of the early years to the more intimate and lasting friendships of the teen years is an increasing ability to understand someone else's perspective. And this is something that parents can really help with. A lot of time in my practice and just around, I, I see parents feeling very helpless about their children's friendships. And it's absolutely true. We can't make friends for our kids, but there are a lot of things that we can do. Um, we can make friendship a priority in our own lives. So be a good model. And parents are like, really? I have to do that? <laughs> like, I'm not comfortable having people over either. I was like, I know, but <laughs> got to walk the walk. So uh, when my kids were little, we used to invite another family over for family game night. And I did it after dinner. So I didn't even have to prepare a meal. And we would play a game. And then I would bring out fruit and dessert. And then the kids would go off and the parents would chat. So I got a play date out of it too, which <laughs> is a always a play date is, is a bonus. <laughs> Yeah, but when a child is struggling with friendship, the first thing we want to start with is empathy and to be talking about um, just acknowledge your kids' feelings because this stuff hurts. This is not the time to say, see, didn't I tell you? <laughs> so hold off on the criticism and just empathize, empathize, empathize. And then we can help our kids to think things through. So we can ask questions about what do you think you might do moving forward? Or we can ask, how do you think he's likely to react if you do that? So just slow it down and think it through. And we'll see um, what, what they can do. So that, that actual coaching can be very helpful. I also have two books for kids about friendship, um, Growing Friendships, which is a kid's guide to making and keeping friends, and Growing Feelings, which is a kid's guide to dealing with emotions about friends and other kids. And the, these books have little cartoons about common friendship problems. They also have the narrator coming in and giving research-based tips. 
And then wandering through the text are this cat and dog character that make goofy suggestions along the lines of, he should try licking their faces. No, he shouldn't. That's not good. But a lot of times kids resist talking about friendship issues or feelings because they think they're going to get a lecture. They think they're going to get scolded. So that's why we made the book funny and practical, or both of the books. Uh, so that can be an option to read it together. I wonder too, I'm, I've actually been curious about this. I think that that fear of getting a lecture um, is a big one. Um, I also sometimes wonder if there is a sense of shame or or not wanting, I don't even know quite the right words, but I remember as a child, someone did something really mean and I didn't tell my parents because I didn't want them. It wasn't even shame perhaps at that point. It was, I didn't want them to feel bad and I was protecting my parents. Aww. And of course they, they could have handled it. They, they didn't, they know <laughs> at no time made me think that I need to do that. But I think the reason kids may not be so vocal about some of these things is, is it might have, there might be deep seated reasons, I guess, is my point. There might be many reasons. And so the, the silly, the silliness of the cat and the dog, I can see helping kind of break the, I don't know, the, the solemnity of it and hopefully help them relax enough to, to open up a little bit. Right. And one of my themes is that we all struggle in relationships. Uh, we adults haven't managed world peace or even perfect marriages. Right. Yeah. So this is something that we are all working on all the time. Um, I can think of four things this week <laughs> you know, that um, I, I, I had to I navigate. <laughs> but I love that. What a what a wonderful way to model for our kids um, that that first of all, nothing's gone wrong. I mean, it's it's not a, you know, it may be an unpleasant thing if we don't have friends, but it is part of the human condition. It's not that you're uniquely bad or, or wrong if you don't, if you're having problems with relationships. I love that. You, you mentioned, I, can I ask you about something you just said? Empathy, curiosity, and questions. Uh -huh. uh, those are the three things that jumped out to me um, because so much of what you're talking about, uh, and sometimes we have people listening who have older children so I just wanted to say that everything that Dr. Eileen is mentioning is I find very applicable to adolescents as well. So, you know, even if this book might seem, I don't know, you might see it and think it's, oh, this is probably for someone younger. I would really encourage you to check this book out and, and follow her work because perhaps the mechanics or details of a social problem are different, but the underlying causes, and I feel like the solutions you teach are going to be empowering for parents of children of any age. The number one reaction that I get from parents is, this applies to adults. <laughs> so it, it really is a lifelong thing. It's not like we we figure out friendship at age nine and then we're done. You know, we're in new situations and new relationships. We're constantly learning and constantly figuring out how to move in a kinder direction and in what we're doing. The questions I think are particularly important for the teen years and even the preteens, because we what we want to do is not give them the answer, but help them to think things through. So it's a little bit like teaching math. You know, you don't say four. The answer is four. You say, well, where's the numerator and where's the denominator? And then what do you do um, so to guide them through that? And that can be 
very useful and also very respectful. Like one of the reasons that I wanted to do the podcast with kids' voices, because frankly, it would be easier for me if I just wrote the questions, but I really wanted to give space to children's voices and children's concerns and, and treat those with respect. So I think that that is your, that is the stance that we want to take when we're talking with our children or teens about whatever they're going through is listen first, empathize, 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 because especially when they've been hurt by somebody outside the family, they really need us on their side. And then to gently guide them through thinking things through. I love Ross Green's work on collaborative problem solving, that's Green with an E. So he talks about a format for helping parents and kids deal with problem situations. And the first thing you do is you ask the kid, um, you say, I noticed whatever it is you've noticed. And then you ask what's going on because we can't solve the problem unless we understand the kid's perspective on it. And then we describe the problem in terms of two concerns. So on the one hand, you hate this. On the other hand, whatever everybody else in the world <laughs> is, is caring about. Um, and then you ask the kid, what can we do to solve this? Mm -hmm. Now, my experience is that the first suggestion is usually completely unreasonable. Well, my brother should move out. Well, <laughs> that's not going to happen. <laughs> so here your job is don't pick up the gauntlet. And you just say, well, that's one option, but it doesn't take care of the part about, well, he lives here and <laughs> he's part of the family. And then you toss it back. What else could we do? And then if they come up with a partial solution, you say, that's interesting. And then you ask more questions about what about this circumstance or what if that happens and let them think it through. And if they come up with something that could plausibly work, you say, huh, let's try that. And then you might be able to say that to them later, wow, your solution really worked. And then of course, not every episode is going to lead to a glorious resolution. So if, sometimes you just have to say, well, let's both think about it and we'll talk again later. And then again, I love that. Learn that That's a helpful and healthy life skill to learn that often there is not a single solution that works beautifully the first time for, for problems. And so that even if we're not getting the immediate outcome we want for our child, I think there's a, there's a larger, really important lesson that will help them learn how to solve problems throughout their life. And so I love that you mentioned the, the iterative process. It may not work, so we try again. Right, but they know that you are on their side, which is huge. Sometimes there is information that kids need. Um, so I had a little guy, a kindergartner, come into my practice once and he looked so sad. And when I asked about it, he told me I lost my best friend today and they'd had some kind of argument. I don't even remember what, what it was, but he was convinced that this was it gone forever. And I said to him, I don't think you've lost your best friend. Here's what I want you to try tomorrow. When you go into school, I want you to look for your friend and give him a big smile. And then play with him. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And 
it worked. <laughs> so what research tells us is that negotiation and compromise doesn't become the main way that kids resolve conflict until age 19. Really? So it's not that we we wait until 19 to teach them this, but often they just separate for a little bit and then they come back and try again. We adults tend to want them to talk everything out, but sometimes just separate to let tempers cool. It could be two minutes, two hours, two days, and you come back and try again. And, and this is something that I believe very deeply, which is that love means trying again. And as parents, we screw up all the time as spouses we mess up as friends we mess up but love means trying again yeah i love that that's a beautiful beautiful thing to remember if you have there's one takeaway can and i i i, I we're getting a little far afield from your book but i wonder if i can ask you we've talked about responding as a parent and so one of the things we want to do is make sure to engage with them to let them know we're on our side i think it can be very natural. Um, oh, and also the importance of working them through it, helping them learn. We're not trying to tell them what to do, but leading them through a, as we would help them learn a math equation. I have noticed in my own work in school that more and more, one of the, and I completely understand it, I've done this myself, one of the frequent parent responses is to fix the other kid or focus on the other kid and to it, it's almost an immediate um there's a problem this other kid is to blame exactly and sometimes that can be true sometimes someone may be bullying there there might be a really serious problem going on do you have thoughts for parents on how first of all how can they maybe sift out is this a problem that I can handle with my child or is this a problem I need to go to some kind of authority about? And how do we help ourselves not just say, well, that other kid is a jerk and they're, right. they're being mean to my wonderful, sweet little child. Can you talk through some of those are complicated dynamics for a parent? Absolutely. And it's our instinct as parents to protect our child. And that's you know survival related so that that's deep in the bones in the bones but it doesn't always apply to friendship issues now i i want to say first that as a clinical psychologist i have seen cases of terrible peer abuse we're not talking about that um a lot of what i see though is not bullying there is, and, and frankly, I think the B word is thrown around too easily. And I think that's a real disservice yes. to, well, first of all, it trivializes those very serious incidents. And second, it says to kids, you can't handle this. You are delicate. If anybody is even slightly mean to you, you need the cavalry to run in. And I, I don't think that that's helpful. Researchers have a very specific definition of bullying, which means deliberate meanness targeting a specific person, usually over a period of time, although sometimes one especially awful action can count. And this is really important. There is a power difference between the kid doing the bullying and the kid being targeted. And that's what makes it the difference between a conflict and bullying. Yeah. If there's no power difference, it is not bullying. That's really important to keep in mind. So we do want to empathize, empathize, empathize. 
but it can be often be useful to talk about what exactly happened. Um, Michael Thompson has this wonderful line describing kids' perspective on a conflict. And it's, it all started when she kicked me back. And that is just so brilliant. <laughs> because yes, they focus on the end and what the, what the friend did to them because our eyes point outward. So looking, we are not looking for who is to blame. We are looking for points of intervention. And the question, and what happened before that, and before that, and before that can be really useful. And then to come up with a plan for, like in parenting situations, prevention always works better than dealing with the problem after the fact. So if there's a way that we can prevent this, great. If we can expand our child's repertoire of ways to respond. So when we're going through this sequence, when we're trying to think about what happened before that and before that, we are not looking for blame or who's at fault. We're looking for points of intervention, and that is empowering. Prevention is always easier and more effective than dealing with a problem after the fact. And that's true for parenting situations as well as for friendship situations. So if we can find a way to prevent the problem, great, let's go for that. But we also might want to give kids options for what to do at different stages or who to go for to for help if they're a younger kid. Um, thinking it through, knowing the whole sequence is also very useful. I also recommend that if it's a routine problem, if it's coming up multiple times, talk to the teacher. Nobody knows child development better than teachers because who else sees a classroom full of kids exactly that age? And they can give you a perspective on, is this typical or is this something that is really happening? Or maybe they didn't notice it and the teacher can just keep an eye on things or maybe separate certain kids. <laughs> and that can be very, very useful. Teacher presence, um, just standing nearby <laughs> is very powerful. Um, and that's not with like, let's take down that um, demon child. Right. Um, so th that, it, and we also have to remember that the other kid is a kid. Yes. Thank and you. they're still learning too. And also that other kid may have challenges like ADHD or being on the autism spectrum, or their parents are going through a messy divorce. So having some compassion is a good thing to teach our kids. I remember telling my kids that you don't have to like that kid, but you must be kind to him. Um, and that's just my values, period, end of story. You know, show up and be kind. Um, so we do communicate to kids a lot about our values. As just handy dandy trip tips, um, children are less likely to be bullied if they have friends. So again, we want we want to make that possible. They another option if they don't want to tell on somebody in the moment, which can have a social cost if they're above about like first grade, then they could just stand near a teacher, and that makes them less of a target. There was an interesting study where they looked at, I think it was first graders. And they recorded who picked on whom at the beginning of the school year and at the end of the school year. And what they found was that at the end of, at the beginning of the school year, pretty much everybody was picked on about the same amount. Mm -hmm. 
by the end of the school year, only a few kids were consistently picked on. And it was the kids who had the biggest emotional reaction to the teasing. Interesting. So this is not usually on people's list of social skills, but I think at just a pure practical level, and that's what I am. I'm a clinician. I roll up my sleeves and figure, what can we do? Um, we have to teach kids how to handle teasing so they're not devastated. This could be one thing that I often do is a role-playing exercise with nonsense word insults. So I prep the kid about what are some things that you could say if somebody says something mean to you. Um, so what? Okay. Whatever. Never to an adult. <laughs> um, or, you know, the classic, I know you are, but what am I? You know, what does that mean? I have no idea, but our grandparents said it and our grandkids will probably say it too. And then to practice with a parent and I have the parents say nonsense word insults, like you have Grimsy muffs. You're such a twiggle twop. Uh, you always niggle your nuffs. It means nothing, but it allows the child to practice the responses without feeling devastated by the insults. So they should not say that. I had somebody misunderstand this and they say, oh, so I should tell my kid to call people niggle nuffs? No, don't do that. <laughs> this is just for homework, for practice, the boring responses. Now, sometimes kids think that they have to, you know, come up with a zinger that's going to stop it once and for all. Wrong strategy. You just want to be boring and make yourself less of a target because they're looking for the reaction. It makes them feel powerful. I had a, a case, uh, a middle schooler who was on the bus with a kid who was not so nice to him. And one day this other kid said to him, you have no friends. Everybody hates you. Ouch. You know, what a vicious thing to say. But fortunately, my kid was ready. And he said in his most bored tone of voice, okay, what a conversation ender, <laughs> right? Because immediately the teaser was like, well, that's not true. Why are you agreeing with that? <laughs> but we don't value this kid's uh, opinion. Unfortunately, there was another kid who piped in and said, that's not true. So yay. Um, but sometimes parents will tell kids, you shouldn't care what other people think. And I don't think that's helpful advice because if they don't care what anybody thinks, they're sociopaths, right? <laughs> we all care what other people think. <laughs> and developmentally, teens and preteens are acutely aware of what everybody is thinking. And the research says, yes, actually other people are judging you. <laughs> so I'm sorry, it's true. What we can say to them though, is, is this somebody whose opinion you admire and respect? Mm. And if they're not, huh, This is, I, I just, listeners, I, I hope you're going to probably want to play this podcast over and over. I keep jotting things down. I have sticky notes already just full uh, of this wonderful, these, these tactics. We have specific strategies. We're getting kind of an overarching way to think about social problems. This is really great. And I, I just really hope people will, will share this as well, because I would say probably, gosh, 95% of the problems I see every day in middle school are these kind of garden variety, 
they definitely feel like a big deal to the person. And so absolutely, not yeah, we can't them, forget that. Right. But, but they're pretty routine. They're pretty age appropriate, pretty standard conflicts. And I just, you know, if, if people heard all of these things, it would, it would really remove a lot of angst for, for students and parents alike. So this is, this is wonderful. The, the, as we're heading into the school year, there's one thing that I wish like everybody knew, and that is the sequence the, that researchers have found for how kids join a group. And that sequence, because we adults tend to tell them, go over to those kids and ask if you can play or, you know, ask, can I join you or something like that. That works for adults, but it's different for kids. So the real sequence is watch, then blend. So, so watch what the kids are doing and then slide into the action without interrupting. For older kids, this is more where, where the, the interaction is more about conversations. It's the same principle, but here we want to match the emotional tone of the group. So if let's say all the kids are complaining about the social studies test and our kid comes in and says, well, I thought it was easy. Oh, you know, that's like, there was a little melody going on along la, 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 and then <laughs> the sour note or with the younger kids, let's say everybody's talking about the collectible and our kid comes in and says, well, these are stupid. I mean, really, they're just cardboard with pictures printed on them. That's not going to go over well. You're interrupting the melody. So that kid either needs to find a group where they all hate the collectible or ask interested questions or express admiration, give a compliment, and then they can join that group. So watch them blend, match the emotional tone of the group. And this is not, so sometimes people worry that teaching social skills is like, oh, you're teaching them to be a follower. That's not true. My focus is on giving kids options. The kid who doesn't know how to join a group, they don't have any options. Right. But if you know the sequence, you have a choice. And then we can get to the more interesting question about, is this a group you want to join? Right, right. Right. And then we can you know, focus on our values, focus on what we have in common with them, because that common ground is where friendships grow. And kids mostly make friends by doing fun things together. So a good question to be thinking about with your child is, what do they like to do that they could do with other kids? That's probably where they're going to be making their friends. I often hear that kids don't want to invite anybody over because I don't know them that well. Well, that's backwards. If you've had fun with them once, good enough. <laughs> you can invite them over or invite them to meet you somewhere. And then you will get to know them better. Yeah. And it's, there's, there's kind of a, a no lose situation here because like, if somebody invites me out for coffee, I'm like, Oh, they like me. <laughs> so, and you're signaling interest, you're signaling liking. I like you enough that I want to see you outside of the situation where I already see you. And that can be a good stepping stone towards a friendship, but you got to be reaching out. And also the, I love what you said about the coffee, because best case it's wonderful but even worst case it's i don't know what 20 minutes i mean it's yeah. not like it's you know it doesn't click whatever and then it's done um and so i i love what you said i think that's a really useful thing for 
parents of maybe kids who are struggling to keep in mind, invite them, but maybe don't invite them for a sleepover, perhaps the first time. Yes. Yeah. Maybe we it's... ease into things. And and that's what the research on intimacy shows, that it's, I share a little bit, and then you share a little bit, and then I share a little bit more, and then you share a little bit more. Um, I had a college girl once who, her idea of intimacy was sharing our pain. And she would meet somebody oh. and immediately she would share everything. And a lot of people would run for the hills, which was uh, sad because she actually had a lot to offer sure. as a friend. But I was talking with her about, you know, why are you prioritizing that? You know, what about your joys and your hopes and your interests? Are those less important than your pain? I don't think so. And it's easier to build a, a, a strong and caring friendship with the positives. All right, everyone, this is Brayden again. Dr. Kennedy Moore was so generous with her time and gave us so much wonderful content that I have broken this episode into two parts, actually. My hope is that with a slightly shorter episode, that it will be easier for people to listen and really absorb and receive and understand this wonderful content. So this will be part one today, and the next week I will release part two of this wonderful episode with Dr. Eileen Kennedy Moore. So until then, happy parenting. You've got this.